Hello, dear listener, and welcome to Late of the Rings, a brand new podcast all about Lord of the Rings, the living card game. That's all I've got. Bye! (laughs) My name's John, and my co-host, he's as svelte as an elf, it's my dear friend Emery. Hello. (laughs) Don't get embarrassed. We just started. I know. You laughed at the first thing I said. That's terrific. (laughs) That's a a good hit rate. It's a good start. It's a good start. (laughs) Okay, so why why are we doing this podcast? Emery, why are we here? Why on earth would we want to start a brand new podcast about a game which is coming up to its 10th anniversary? Well, I'll tell you what inspired me is I've been playing Lord of the Rings, the card game, now for uh, coming up to four years. However, I'm not that far into it. I, I, I play very slowly, play very methodically, and I just love exploring the game. I, I, I have many an adventure pack just sat on my shelf, and I, I, I look at the forums and I see there are always new players joining the game and wanting to know more about it, wanting to know where to start with APs. And I find that a lot of the resources which are out there, some wonderful podcasts, some brilliant blogs, um, these are being written by people who have been involved with the game since its release. You know, they are uh, experienced players. They are deep, deep, deep into the story. They're from the first age of players. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... I felt there was a a gap in the market, perhaps, for a podcast which could answer a few questions for new players and could explore some of the earlier APs and give some advice on starting out and would be a place that people could come to to listen to a progression through the early APs into the deluxes and people could grow and learn with us. Not to say that there wouldn't be anything for veterans of this game either, because maybe they can listen to this and think, oh, I haven't played Conflict of the Carrick for nine years. Maybe I'll take <laughs> that out because, you know, that that song was pretty awesome and it, and it never finds a place in my deck anymore. So, yeah, that, that that's basically where where we were at, where we were coming from when we decided to put this thing together. And also, I just pretty much like talking to Emery and he makes me laugh and we'll go on tangents and this could be just a nice place to hang out with some like-minded individuals. Absolutely. And I think I am one of those new players myself. So um, it's it's a game that I really only started playing, I mean, really fully this year, um, the last couple of months, if I'm honest. I know you introduced me to the game, John, um, and we had what we what must have played maybe five or six adventures together, um, and I kind of fell in love with it straight away. It's not normally my kind of thing. Uh, so you have this kind of card game. I've never really played anything like it before, but I was instantly drawn to the, I think just the world of of the game. Um, there was something something about the atmosphere of it. You really felt like it was kind of rung true with the world that I remembered from reading the books. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, and when I reread them again when I was when I was an adult, I, I, would, I would imagine that a lot of the people who play the game, uh, I'm get, obviously guessing here, but I, you know, I guess fairly obvious will be Lord of the Rings fans, and I think a lot of them will be fans of the films, and a lot of them will be fans of the book, and a lot of them will be fans of both probably. Um, but I was definitely somebody who read the books first, um, loved the films, of course, 
but but the game really uh, it really rings true with the book for me. Um, and obviously, it's, it's, it's a game, and it's, some, of the, some of the adventures are aligned to what's in the books, and some aren't. Um, but I think just the general atmosphere of it, the general world it creates, really is really does remind me of that of that, of, of the world of the books. And I think that's what drew me in, and I think that's what would probably draw a lot of new players in when they first start playing it. It's something they recognise straight away. Absolutely, I think that's one of the things which drew me to the game in the first place. Is I mean, I'm a massive fan of the films. Don't get me wrong, but I think if this game was a film tie-in, I wouldn't have touched it with a ten-foot barge pole, because absolutely, the, the 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 world of the films is its own thing. But when it comes to card games and tabletop card games, you want it to be able to exist in its own right, and, and I feel like this game really does that. It, it, it's set in the world of Middle Earth. It's set in the years between Bilbo leaving the Shire and the quest of the ring and this is this allowed the game designers to create their own stories create their own mythology without relying too much on um well they did rely on the source material but without relying too heavily on sticking to the stories that we know so well from the books and from the films of course they started to explore this later with the saga expansions but that's for an episode way down the road yeah and I think also, and I think this is probably something we'll touch on at various points later, um, in regards to the artwork, when you're, you know, obviously it's a card game, and what you're looking at is, is cards constantly. And the artwork on, on these cards, are, is, are, it's just beautiful um, and very evocative. And again, like, like you said, yeah, if, if I was watching, you know, semi-photos of, of, of Viggo Mortensen or something, it just wasn't going to work, you know. I think it's absolutely correct and, and good that it wasn't a, a tie into the to the films as much as I love the films you can look at photos of Viggo Mortensen in your own time oh yeah absolutely <laughs> each their own that's, that's more, it's more Samwise Gamgee kind of guy what can I say <laughs> oh dear okay so let's uh let's let's just jump into um how this is going to work I mean each week we're going to pick a few a few topics to talk about in depth and at the same time we will also be playing right back from the beginning so um as previously mentioned i i got into the game 5 years ago but by no means am i anywhere close to being up to date and i think as everyone's aware who's getting into the game now being able to buy adventure packs is luck of the draw these days whether or not you can play it in order is it's a big issue for a lot of people and I was lucky because throughout these five years as I've seen adventure packs come on sale I've just bought them and I've stacked them and I've waited until I've got the full collection before starting to play through in order um, the idea of this is that myself and Emery will play the game in order each week to relive that those times of discovering the game so if you are new to it and you are lucky enough to have the ap's in the order of release you can you can play along with us and you can hear our thoughts on the uh on the cards which come out with each ap and and not feel like you're left behind because everyone is playing um six deluxe packs down the road yeah i think also and and as a fairly new player myself i think when you when you do look at some of the resources um, and yeah, you know, I'm someone who's new to. You know, I guess there's certain p- words which you use and languages used in 
card games in general. It's my first ever one. It can be kind of overwhelming, all the terms, which I guess you you take for granted fairly quickly once you start getting into it. At the beginning, you have no idea what anyone's talking about. Oh my God, (laughs) this is, it's like, I I, I read a thread or something or, you know, on one of the the boards. It's like, I have no idea what people are talking about. May as well be written in in Elvish, you know. So, (laughs) but I think, so I think that part of it as well for new players I think just sort of understanding and explaining some of those those concepts as well without getting too bogged down in it but just taking a moment just to make sure it's all understood I think that's that's an important part so that's something which you did with me and then while we were playing together so I really yeah and that was a massive help I think that allowed me to pick up the game on my own much quicker than if I was just stuck there with the slightly cryptic rule book that comes in the in the, in the core set um so yeah Okay, well, actually, that's a good point. I think this is where we're going to start this week. Um, and actually, for the next coming episodes, actually, is we, we're going to stick with the core set because, let's face it, that's where everyone starts their journey. There's no one who is getting into this game who doesn't own a core set. Um, and I think it, it's obviously the best place to start when learning the game. Well, in fact, you're stuck with it, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no choice. <laughs> Um, but actually there's a lot to be gained from the core set a lot of people I, I see are asking um, you know where can I get the APs how quickly should I move on I played the core set for, for a good few months before I even picked up Hunt for Gollum um, which is the first AP and I had a lot of fun just playing with the, the cards which were in that and uh, building my first few decks and really getting to grips with how the game worked before moving on. So one of the first questions I'd like to answer is one I see a lot, which is, um, can I just buy the core set? Like, is that enough? And the answer, quite frankly, is yes, to start with. See if you like the game, see if it grabs you. If it doesn't, well, it's 35 bucks. You've, 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 you've not lost out too much and uh, I wish you well. But uh, I really do hope you stick with it and um, maybe this podcast will help you make that decision. So the core set is where we're going to start today. So Emery, when you first picked up your core set, what, what was the first thing that struck you? Oh, um, right on the spot. Right on the <laughs> spot there. Well, the first thing that struck me, go well, so I'd actually, I think we'd actually played a couple of the core set adventures before I got my first core set when I was, when I was with you. That was obviously my, the first time I'd ever played the game. Uh, then obviously I went and got my first core set i've got three now by the way <laughs> which but that's the fun something which we can come on to later as well um but i think the first thing that struck me was just how how, how much love the game was 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 made and how how it was put together i think it was really well thought through um one of the things which uh ended up doing fairly quickly after getting core set was to start getting sleeves for the for the cards uh i think that's actually pretty crucial oh, thing to do here actually. we go here we go <laughs> already into a sleeve discussion oh is, that, is this a thing <laughs> is this a thing i don't know oh if you don't want to sleep don't have a sleep i'm not too bothered about it but i think i think it's it kind of makes sense I mean, it's, it's the kind of game what you find if it's something you get into there's going to be a lot of those cards which you're going to be using a lot and you're going to be shuffling a lot in big fairly big decks um so they're going to get battered and I mean, the key thing is, you know, the whole point, I think when you're playing a, 
when you're shuffling decks and you're taking cards, you don't want to know what that next card... Well, you do want to know, <laughs> but you shouldn't know because that's a whole big part of the mystery of the game and the fun of the game. Uh, and we've all been there. We all know, you know when we were kids and you know maybe you tried to put a little mark behind the ace of spades on your on your dad's <laughs> on your dad's deck of cards that you was know, you, you that don't was want you, that kind it? of thing yeah, no <laughs> i'm just empathizing <laughs> but you'll know or maybe one was marked in a way and you knew what it was uh, yeah that kind of thing i think i think uh, so yeah i would definitely put sleeps on them but anyway i digress um yeah what yeah like i say what struck me about the core set was just how much um care and and time had gone into the design of it not just for the, the pieces which are, which are which are great i think they're, they're really terrific um but the the actual mechanics of the game and the the way the game the way they set up the different adventures the different quests to be really dynamic with the story that's being told I, that's, that's something that really amazes me um, and we we can talk about that a bit more when we go into the individual sort of quests, but uh, that, that really blew my mind actually when I first started playing. And it's something I think will never stop amazing me as we go through the <laughs> the whole thing. No, I absolutely agree. I think uh, the way that a few simple pieces of cardboard can invoke theme by just a few a few simple words that say you do this and then this happens. And then suddenly you're transported into this incredible world of orcs and wizards and hobbits. It, it, it's, it's quite it's quite a marvel of uh, game design. Yeah, it's it's for it's for tension as well. Uh, there's a lot of tension in this game. Uh, you know, as again something we'll go into. But you know, there are times when I'm playing some of these where you know you got that moment of dread of turning over that next card or you know you're right on a balance if it, go, it could go one way or the other depending on, on what happens next um so it, it kind of evokes all the emotions that you would go f- go through you know reading a book or, or or watching a movie or whatever it is um i think that's really wonderfully done in, in, in this game i think actually the uh you've struck a chord with something which i was going to mention which is the way the game deals with the abstract nature of threat is incredible because one thing I think new players are confronted with straight away is the concept of the staging area. So you think you're playing a game, you have your heroes, you have your allies, and you know you're going to be coming up against um, enemies. And this, of course, makes sense. But then what this game does first is it, it presents an element of threat and it does that in, in in the abstract nature of a staging area. And this always made perfect sense to me. As, as soon as I played the game, this was one concept I thought absolutely blew me away. That the idea that there were enemies and locations around you whilst you were involved in a quest, which weren't directly influencing what you were doing. However, they made the quest more difficult because, wow, what was that? <laughs> that was an incredibly loud <laughs> motorbike <laughs> going past my. I have to apologise. There's nothing I can do about this. I live. I live on a main road, which is uh, normally not too bad, but you do get the occasional fool, and there was there was one such fool. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what was I saying? No, the 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 concept of of a staging area is, is abstract, but it always made perfect sense to me. The the idea that there was threat building around heroes until they 
dealt with it or were forced to deal with it was was wonderful. Um, and actually, um, actually, one of the aspects of the game which a lot of people highlight as the the dullest aspect of the game. Oh, great start to the podcast, John. Why don't you start with the dullest aspect of the game? <laughs> well, according to... I want to know what it is. So I might disagree if I think I know what you're going to say. <laughs> Travelling. <laughs> Why is that dull? Well, because you just move one card from the staging area to the travel area. It's pretty yeah, dull. But... It's pretty dull. But um, but the actual process is dull. It is definitely the dullest phase of the game. The travel phase oh, is very. I, 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 I disagree. Well, no, no, I, but, I, I do. But I'm actually disagreeing <laughs> with myself because this is what I'm saying. <laughs> All right, Gollum. Yeah, yeah you, you carry on. <laughs> I'm just saying the the physical act of going. I'm going to move a card from here to there. Well, that's that phase over. Is pretty boring, but the. Uh, what it represents, I thought, was absolutely stunning. That you're you're on a quest, and there could be a, a festering bog. Just just yonder, a yonder festering <laughs> bog. Now, if you went through the festering bog, you could maybe progress your quest quicker. However, it's dangerous to do so. So it could cost you a lot to go there. And there could be unseen forces that will uh, attack you if you do go there. But if you don't go through it, it's going to take you longer to do the quest, which is how it, it, the game brilliantly, I think, uses the theme of threat. So a festering bog. Actually, is that even a card? Sounds like it should be. Let's say the festering bog does exist and it's got a threat <laughs> of five. So you have this festering bog in front of you and you've not gone there but because you've not got that you've got you've been forced to go around it which is slowing your quest you have a threat of five around you perhaps you should just go there get through it and get to your quest quicker and then of course to defeat this made up festering bog <laughs> may may take um three or four quest points quest yeah. tokens Oh, I should really learn the terminology. <laughs> it does. It's only been five years. Um, <laughs> progression. Progress. I said progression, but I didn't know. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Progress tokens. That's it. <laughs> yes. So, so, and that of course represents the journey through. I'm going to say it one more time: the festering bog. <laughs> but this is that's it exactly. I mean, I actually that moment of travel that can present itself in a number of different ways so sometimes before you're questioning you you say right what i want out of this is to travel there you know i want to i got to get to the festering bog or this go or i'm screwed <laughs> you know yes yes or or sometimes you kind of don't want to you want to carry a quest then you realize oh god you know something nasty comes out into the staging area as well and then you say oh my god so if i travel there then that's going to cause this problem but then if i don't travel there am i going to be able to travel at all in the next you know and the, the whole balance um of, of what happens is is completely changed and i think i think i think you're dead right i think it's one of the, uh, well it's obviously critical to understand that part of the game but it's definitely one of the the best aspects of of the way the, the game is is designed um i actually i actually do love that whole travel piece because i i think 
I just like looking at the card as well. <laughs> it's a card I've seen like a hundred times. Like, right, I'm here now. And you look at it, you think, right, okay. Yeah, and I, I, probably people who've been playing a game a long time think, whatever. But um, I, I'm still very much in that zone of, of, of being very much in the world of each card. Um, yes. You know, so, yeah, I, 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 I think that, that aspect of it is great. And I think, yeah, that, that whole thing, about, and again, I think that comes down to the way the, the story is told through the dynamics of the gameplay. Exactly the example you gave, you know, you, you have to go around this place, or you can go to it, it's quicker in a way, or you can go around it, which is going to cause you some other problems, but at least you don't have to go to that awful place, but it's going to have an effect. And I think it's it's, it's such a clever, it's really simple, but really clever bit of uh, game design, I think. Well, it, it's, it's, it's by not going, by not traveling to somewhere, of course, it means that you're less likely to quest successfully because your your willpower that you commit to the quest is less likely to get past the threat in the staging area. So by not traveling, by not taking that journey, you're you're taking the longer route round. Exactly, yeah. So it may be more dangerous to go through somewhere, but it will get you to the end goal of questing successfully quicker. And I think that's a very, very clever uh, design and, and sums up the abstract nature of, threat in the staging area brilliantly i think i mean of course the enemies in the staging area also it also makes sense that they're lurking in the shadows and as each round passes your threat increases what is it on the uh your threat tracker increases so on each on each uh on each passing round your threat increases and therefore you're basically drawing more attention to yourself as you're performing this quest so these creatures who are lurking in the shadows notice you more and then will eventually engage with you because you've been causing such a such a mess in middle earth yeah or maybe that or maybe they're chasing you and can you reach a destination before they get to you you know it's, yeah it's, I uh, mean, it's terrific yeah. i mean but actually that's a very good point that the game gets better the more you allow your imagination to fill in the gaps and yes yes all the theme is there if you're willing to fill in the gaps and join the dots. You can play this just as a um, adventure card game, totting up numbers, seeing if you beat a certain enemy, and moving on. But I think it's yeah. far more rewarding if you allow yourself to be taken into the theme. And for me, this is one of the things which has made me uh, stick with the game, and it's one of the things which makes this by far my favorite game I've ever played. Oh. Well, uh, yeah, I'm totally the same. If it was just an exercise in sort of mathematics and probability or whatever, I wouldn't be interested at all. <laughs> I, I love that aspect of it, but I think it's so well linked. Like I, yeah, I keep coming back to the same point, but the, dynam the dynamics and the mechanics of it are so well linked to the story. Uh, what I've found so far is if you allow yourself to be taken by the story side of it, then you suddenly find you're coming up with much more intuitive solutions and deck designs and, and all of this kind of stuff so it all it'll or you can approach it the other way but it all, it, it all links together beautifully i think so but yes i'm i'm i'm, I'm with you i think it's, it's, if, if it didn't have that aspect of sparking the imagination and yeah i would only probably play it a few times and then leave it <laughs> yeah I, I completely understand so that brings me on to the next point in the course set obviously you get a job lot of cards which are uh allow you to play the game right off the bat and we're going to look more in depth into the cards in later episodes. 
But just as as way of introduction, is there anything, any cards that you feel really struck you when you first opened the box, first had the first few games? I mean, chances are they're not your favourite cards anymore. But if you can think back to when you first played, is there anything you thought, oh yeah, this this is the guy, this is the man, this is the elf? <laughs> Yeah, I got. I think when I first started playing, I'll be honest, I, I was drawn to the characters I knew. So I, I, maybe quite childishly, <laughs> but I was. I, well, you know, you know, most of them. But you were drawn to the characters you knew, like Hanamath River Song. <laughs> yeah, it's it's you know, it's just from a yeah, from from a, from, a, from a hero perspective, it was uh, you know, it was it was your usual crew. You know, you wanted to have that whole, whole thing of, um, you know, Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli, for example. You've seen that dynamic before. You've seen that team before. Um, no, no. So it's kind of... No. <laughs> no. We... no. Am I making it up? <laughs> oh, if you are, you should write it down. It sounds like gold. Yes. <laughs> it's got legs. Um, <laughs> Very short legs, if you're Gimli. <laughs> I'll tell you what I wasn't drawn to originally. Which I like the whole part about attachments wasn't something that struck me straight away. It was more, it was more of a characters first, I would say, um, and I think then it was kind of events fairly quickly after that. Not all of them. I'm just saying in a general general way. And I think the att- attachments I learned the value of sort of after some of those events. So so initially I my I was initially drawn to, to, to the character cards, I think. So you're saying you're you were more you were more drawn to Aragorn, the future king of Middle earth, than a brooch. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> Although I am a big fan of Art Nouveau, so it's <laughs> ironic in some way. But <laughs> no, 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 I think that's a fair point. Well um for me, I mean, it's very hard for me to remember when I first opened the box. I mean, when I first opened the box, it took two men to lift the lid off because when I bought <laughs> when I bought it, it, it was the largest game. It, basically, I don't know. Oh, I've seen that. If, yeah. if, um, if you're if you're new to the game, then you've bought it in the very svelte new packaging from Fantasy Flight, which is wonderful. I mean, it, essentially, it's just three decks of cards you get in the core set, if I remember correctly. Um, when you first bought it, it had exactly the same number of cards, exactly the same number of tokens, but it came in a box not not dissimilar to um, Twilight Imperium. So um, yeah. So anyway, so when I when I first got it, I, I can't remember exactly what 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 struck a chord with me, but you're probably right. I wanted to play with Gimli. Well, of course, I probably wanted to play with Gimli and Legolas, and I made a tactics deck, and of course, couldn't do anything. That's because- exactly what happened to me. Yeah, <laughs> my very first game. Yeah. <laughs> but, but actually, I, I mean, when I, before this podcast, I thought I better try and think back to which cards um, really struck a chord with me. And again, I think I have to come back to the ones which um, which invoke theme, and those are actually mostly in the spirit sphere. And it's the it's it's like the the scouts, for instance, um, not not the boy scouts, the the. sorry oh the the guides the Lorian guide you mean i've tickled myself with that one (laughs) (laughs) um uh, for instance the northern tracker um the northern tracker an expensive card but everything was expensive in the core set northern tracker um 
has a cost of four, has a willpower of one, has a attack of two and defense of two and three hit points. And it's a Dunedain Ranger and has a response that after the Northern Tracker commits to a quest, place one progress token on each location in the staging area. Now, I think anyone who's played the core set will know that the Northern Tracker is is your best friend through a lot of quests. But looking at the theme of it, I just love the idea that when this particular ranger committed to the quest, each location got a progress token. So the idea that this person was out and about, he wasn't necessarily with the main party, that when they were questing, they were clearing locations that we hadn't even gone to yet. That use of the theme of the card again is what is what drew me to it, and I think there's a, there's another one as well, isn't it? The um, uh, the Loring Guide. I think you just mentioned it actually. Uh, that commits to a quest. A Loring Guide, by the way, is a Sylvan Scout. Um, cost of three, one willpower, one attack, no shield, but with a response that after the Loring Guide commits to a quest, place one progress token on the active location. So again, it's scouting it's it's moving you forward through locations oh god people are going to think i just have a hang a, a love affair with locations i i really don't <laughs> I, I really don't in fact often i talk to you about how much i hate locations it's, yes <laughs> it's more me really <laughs> I, I never i never knew it would take a, a new podcast to realize that i just love places yeah well, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps perhaps i just love getting rid of them Maybe I think that's you like getting it. through them. Yeah. Well, actually, you know what? I, I actually think that's a, a very critical part of it. I mean, just to you, know, this whole thing's about what do you, what was first drew you, and obviously, what first drew me, like I said, was those sort of tactics heroes. But very quickly, and this is still the case, actually, um, I I very quickly got drawn to the spirit. Cards. Spirit. <laughs> spirit. <laughs> and as uh, always, I was. You know, slightly ruefully have to put them away if I, if I need to you know, have a new deck which doesn't involve them, and I very gladly bring them back. I think it's a couple of things. Is what they what they're good at is basically um, questing, getting through things, and stop you know stopping certain bad things from happening. But again, sort of the theming is absolutely critical. I think what you're saying about the the Northern Tracker, for example, you know, he's a he's a ranger. If you think about what the rangers were in the stories, they were people who knew the land very well. So. If you're saying like we're traveling away from the party or whatever, it's probably a lot of the time areas that these guys have been to before uh, and they've got some know-how about it. And also you've got things like, uh, we know that from the films, for example, that uh, Aragorn, who's a ranger, he can just, all he has to do is put his ear to the ground and he can uh, he can tell how far away certain enemies are <laughs> <laughs> and, whether, and where their ropes were cut and that kind of stuff. So <laughs> you could just do it on the ground. Just on the ground. <laughs> what a guy! Exactly. <laughs> One of those rangers. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I've, it's, it's funny you say that those those two because I'm in the zone at the moment where those two characters are probably my favourite allies to to bring out. So um, rich, so rich. <laughs> if I can, well, we'll come on to that later. Oh. <laughs> uh, Talking about uh, tactics, because of course, I think it's no surprise that everyone wants to play tactics straight off the bat. And it's it's either genius or utter cruelty that Fantasy Flight made it that if you do try and play tactics off the bat, you will lose. Um, and one of the one of the one I of think the it's great. one of the uh, one of the characters I always loved 
and I still put him in a lot of decks actually, is the poor old Gondorian Spearman. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> he still gets involved. <laughs> well, I love I, again. This is we should re we should rename this podcast a podcast on theme because the Gondorian Spearman his theme is wonderful. For a start, well, let me just do his stats for you. He's cost of two, nice and cheap. He has he has no willpower. He ain't questing. Um, he's got an attack of one. Hey. He's, he's not really attacking for you. He's got a defense of one. He's not really defending for you. He's got a hit point of one. He is dying for you. <laughs> but, and this is crucial, he has a response. After Gondorian Spearman is declared as a defender, deal one damage to the attacking enemy. Now, not only can this be a lifesaver, if you just need someone to throw under the bus and at least do a little bit of damage to that enemy which is attacking you, it also in- invokes the theme brilliantly that he just he cowers and he sticks his spear up and this troll sits on his spear, does the troll a bit of damage, and then the spearman <laughs> is crushed to dust. <laughs> Underneath the troll. What a way to go. The poor spearman. Oh. But it's so true, and he's also good for if, if you've got if you've got enemies, just, you know, if you've got a lot of engagements going on at the same time, you've got I don't know something like trying to think. Well, like the crows, for instance, you only need one, take one damage, yes, to kill them. So as soon as you, as soon as they attack the spearmen, they die. You know, Absolutely, so it's, it's, it's like a free, it's a free way of just getting rid of an enemy if they're very weak like that. Have you ever tried to spear a crow? Not personally. Surprisingly easy. <laughs> For a Gondorian. <laughs> he's, he's, uh, no, he's, he's one who gets a lot of... Yeah, you see a lot of him, don't you? <laughs> when you play these early, um, oh, yeah. uh, early well, adventures. I can't stress he's this always, enough. Cheap. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Much cheapness. Sort of bargain basement kind of army surplus guy, <laughs> kind of guy. Oh no! Well, if, we're ta- if we're talking about the army, army surplus, there can only be one, and that and, and that is the Snowborn Scout. Snowborn Scout. Oh, yes. Snowborn Scout is in the leadership uh, sphere. Cost of one. Yeah, you thought the spearman was cheap. No, no one, great. no one cannot afford the Snowborn Scout. Again, he's he's got zero willpower. He's questing for nothing. He's got zero attack. He he he's 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 not he's not he's not he's not in your army. Although he's got, he's holding a sword, which to hold a sword and have zero attack, I think is a waste of a sword. Maybe it's not a real sword. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's okay. a very good point. Yeah, and he, but he does have a defense of one, and he is holding a shield, so that that story checks out. And he has um, he has one hit point. He has a response. After Snowboard Scout enters play, choose a location, place one progress token on that location. So there you go again. So that's the that's just the theme of the scout, which I think we've covered enough. But if we're talking about having someone just to throw under the bus, it's just Snowboard Scout. Your, here's your guy. Here's your and guy, you fr- and, and you get a free progress out of it. Can actually be really useful because let's face it. At the end of the day, because um, this is another thing that's a big part of the game is is uh, committing characters, heroes, allies. Um, most people, especially when you start playing at the beginning, can only do one thing per round. They can either quest or they can attack or they can defend. 
where some some for just one cost, this guy can actually help you progress your quest and can defend too. If if you you know do do a sacrifice, um. So actually, for one cost, you get an ally who can do character who can do two things, and there aren't many off the bat who can do that. As the game progresses and you get more into the cards, you start to figure out ways where you can make characters do multiple things. A couple of them, I think, do have natively some powers where they can do that. Like Aragorn springs to mind. You can he can quest and you can ready him for a cost as well. But some of these guys I've found can be absolutely critical to winning some of these early adventures when you first start. Especially sacrificing people. <laughs> That's an early tactic, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, just throw them under the bus. Yeah. Throw them, un- throw them under the troll bus. Yeah. yeah. Although, well, we can we come on to that later. I'm thinking about that nasty hill troll. Oh. Oh. But we can talk about that adventure later. <laughs> oh, that nasty hill troll. He's terrible. He is. He is. Now, a few of the cards we haven't mentioned yet are, of course, uh, the big guns. The heroes. You, you've mentioned Aragorn and Gimli and Legolas, whoever they are. But um, who struck you or who strikes you from the Corsair as your, your go-to guy? Or girl. Or girl. It is a girl, actually. My, my go-to is, uh, is Eowyn. She's, she finds her way into a lot of my <laughs> games. Um, just simply because she can, um, she can quest for four. Um, and... She can also, you can also discard a card and get another one with her as well. Uh, and then with some of the other Spirit Sphere cards you can get, you can end up with her, you know, potentially going for seven or eight at a time uh, in terms of questing. So what you find is, it's for certain, it's only for certain adventures, obviously. If, if you've got one with a lot of fighting and you need free ready characters all the time, whatever, it's a bit more difficult. But um, she is she's one that more often than not I'll look to to try and get into my uh, <laughs> into my deck if I can. Well, I think the thing is, even if you do have a very fighty quest, you're always going to need to get those progress tokens on the board. True. So, yeah, Eowyn, is, yeah, she's, that's a very good shout. I mean, um, one hero I absolutely loved from Spirit in the core set, which actually I never play these days, which why, which is why doing these podcasts is great. It's, 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 um, it's giving me the opportunity to look back at old cards that maybe I don't give enough attention to these days and reevaluate them. And that uh, that hero is Dune here, Dune here, Dun here, Derek, down there. <laughs> so Dune here, I think it's Dune, Dune here. Dune I think here. Dune here is a spirit hero, and he uh, has a starting a starting threat of eight, which is nice and low. Keep it low. Um, he only quests for one, but hey, maybe if you've got your uh, your shield maiden of Rohan, then uh, then maybe questing for one is not too bad. So exactly. So quest for one, he hits for two. So he's he's actually not too bad for a for a spirit hero. Uh, shield of one and four hit points, which is kind of average for a hero. Um, but he's a he's a Rohan warrior, and he has a constant ability. And I think actually this is a good one for new players. If your hero or ally or attachment, for that matter, has ability text written on it with no no bold keyword in front of it such as response or action it's important to remember this is a constant ability which means that no matter what happens and what phase of the game you're in what window you don't need an action window that this ability is active so i see i wasn't even aware of that so i've learned that now reading this i've only ever used him during an, an attack phase 
foolish boy. Exactly. But this is why it's, it's, it's so crucial to, to know these things. Because, you know, that's exactly the kind of thing that you miss as a new player. And that is one I did miss. Well, um, wrap it so up. That's... Wrap it up. Our job is done. <laughs> but, you know, you learn new things. You, know, you start discussing it. You learn something new. Um, Dune here, by the way, is extremely useful. And I think there was... I can't remember which quest it was. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up uh, for, for next time. Um where he was absolutely critical to me being able to com- to complete it with the deck I, I used, precisely because of that ability. Well, not to be uh, critical of the bad radio, but we haven't actually said what he does. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I will quickly, for the listener, singular, Dune here has a constant ability, and it says Dune here can target enemies in the staging area when he attacks alone. When doing so, he gets plus one attack. So, take it away. What were you about to say? <laughs> so, so you have to exhaust him when he does that. Of course, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, I say, of course. I say, of course. Actually, I shouldn't say yeah. that. That that's the whole point of this podcast is to answer questions along along yeah. these lines. Um, whenever, unless anything is specified, all the processes that you would normally do to perform an attack or to commit to a quest or to defend they have to be played out so in this in this respect dune here can target enemies in the staging area when he attacks alone so just taking that one line when he attacks on his own he can attack an enemy in the staging area it's that simple but the process of attacking remains the same he still needs to exhaust you just count the number of uh, attack uh, points he's got against the enemy's defense and its hit points um However, when doing so, he gets plus one attack. So you would give him attack points of three. The point that you made earlier that you didn't realize that this was a constant ability, so therefore didn't have to happen in the combat phase, is that if you have um, an event card which would allow an attack outside of that phase, you can use his ability to, to, to greater plomb. Yeah. So a couple of examples then would be Perhaps before, if there's an action window before you quest and there's some enemy who he could take out but is causing, you know, two additional threats or whatever, which is going to stop you from potentially having a successful quest or what have you, you can use him then and take that guy out. Or if he's going to potentially engage you, you could use it at that point. You don't have to wait till the attack phase, right? So any any action window um, a is, that, is that right? Not, well, it depends. Depends on what exactly what you mean. Do you mean that you 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 couldn't just use him to attack in that in that phase unless you had used a card? Um, one second, I'm just trying to find the card actually. Well, so 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 what I'm saying is to use this ability, you got to exhaust him, and he's going to attack on his own, and he's attacked someone in the staging area, and he gets a plus one, saying so tax for free, in total. But you can do that at any. It doesn't have to be in the attack phase, of the of the. Um, of a combat phase, it can be any player action window. So you can do it right at the beginning of, of, of a whole round if you want to. Yes, but what you're saying is correct, but only if you had an event which would allow him to attack outside of the combat phase. You, you wouldn't be able to attack with him unless you could find a way to attack with him. Does that make sense? So for instance, there's a card in the core set called Quick Strike, cost of one in the tactics sphere, and that has an action. So you can play it during any action window. Um, and it states, action, exhaust a character you control to immediately declare it as an attacker 
and resolve its attack against any eligible enemy target. So, we're doing here, in the example you give, you're in the travel phase, but you want to get rid of a pesky goblin. You could then play Quick Strike, which would allow you to exhaust a character and immediately declare it as an attacker. Then, doing here's constant effect would kick in. See, yeah, uh, I find that I find that fairly confusing as a fairly as a newish player, and I think these are the kind of things where um, I, one thing I will say is, uh, as I've been playing it, there have been certain cards, certain instances where you, you realise afterwards, if you oh god, have I been playing that correctly, or <laughs> have I been inadvertently cheating some, somehow? And this is probably what, if, if that's true, how I was using this guy was I was waiting till the attack phase. But then I would allow him to attack somebody in the staging area in that attack phase, if he attacked on his own, and get that plus one. That's what that's that that's where I read that. I didn't know about the constant effect. The constant effect. I don't know. So that's the kind of thing that I'd argue about that as well. <laughs> the way it's worded. It sounds to me that you're you were using him correctly as long as you were using him during during the attack part of the combat phase. But because it's a constant effect, it just means that if you can find a way to attack outside yeah. of the yeah. combat phase, you can use his ability. Yeah, understood. That makes sense. Yeah. You will notice on some heroes that they have a bold keyword, so therefore it has to happen in an action window, usually, but sometimes, or as a response. Um, but sometimes they will have a specific action window, so they will specify the phase that the action has to take place in. So almost the complete opposite of a constant effect. So if you just, for example, uh, from the corset, Radagast Cunning, which is, in a, which is an event, cost of one, is a, and it states it's a quest action. Choose an enemy in the staging area until the end of the phase, that enemy does not count its threat. And basically what, what that states is that event can only be played during the quest phase. And I think this is an easily overlooked uh, rule for new players because obviously most of the time you will be wanting to reduce an enemy's threat during the quest phase, but there might be occasions you want to reduce its threat later. For instance, maybe you don't want it to be engaging with you, but then you can't play Radagast Cunning then to lower its threat to stop an engagement check happening. Right. <laughs> and. <laughs> Another example of this would be uh, kind of the um, bedfellow to the Radagast Cunning, which is uh, Secret Paths, which again is a lore event, cost of one. And it's also a quest action. And essentially it does exactly the same thing, except for now it's for a location. So choose a location in the staging area until the end of the phase. That location does not contribute its threat, but it can only be played during the quest. You wouldn't be able to play this at a later time in the game. Yes, okay. So... Well, one bit of advice I would also give to new players, I think this leads on to it, is there's one, I made many, many mistakes, and I'm probably still making some mistakes now without realising it when I started playing this game. And one of the really simple bits of advice I would give to anyone starting this is always read the card. I know it sounds like a simple thing, but I don't just mean read it once when you first get out. Read it every single time. And you, you, um, also, you also don't mean just hold your hand over it and hope that you can just sort of sense what the card does. You, you think just actually... <laughs> I was, you know, it's, I mean, the theming's good, but I mean... <laughs> I, I, tend, always a I tend to just go by what it looks like. I go, well, that guy's got a horse and a sword. He hits for three. <laughs> this guy looks like a winner. <laughs> I've won. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, but no, it's, it's like, for example, I remember a game we played together. It must have been one of my very first games. And it was, I had Gimli. And Gimli's got a really, really powerful ability. And his Gimli gets plus one attack for each damage taken on him. Read that right at the beginning. Oh, that's cool. Completely forgot about it. And then I never used that for the whole duration of the game until right right near the end. When I think you'd pointed it out to me. So what's it say on Gimli's card? <laughs> oh, yeah. And then... Um, you know, and it was just, it's just so easy because you're, you're looking at so many different things when you first start playing, especially when you're not, um, you know, you don't know all the cards off by heart and you do get to learn them eventually. But I think at the beginning, I know it sounds like such a basic thing. Every time you do an action, every time you get a new phase, just look at the cards, make sure nothing's happening uh, or make sure you're not missing out on ability or even something negative happening. Uh, so you don't, re- you know, you're not inadvertently kind of you know, cheating for want of a better word, even though you don't mean to. And I was doing that a lot when I first started playing. So, yeah, I know in future episodes we're going to look at some kind of basic things to um, to look out for. But that one off the bat that comes to, to mind is, is that. And I think this is a good example of it, even after playing for two or three months now. That doing here one, you know, it, it passed me by completely. Who knew? Well, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> And you did, to yeah. answer the question. Okay. Well, yeah, you did. John there did. we go. <laughs> okay, I think that's a pretty good overview, actually, of our initial thoughts of uh, when we first saw the core set and things that struck us of why we ended up falling in love with this game. Um, in future episodes, as you touched on, I think we're going we're gonna to be looking much more in-depth and we're going st- to stick with the core set for a, for a good three or four episodes, I think, because there's plenty to explore there. But we're going to be looking at the individual spheres, um, how they fit into the different st- play styles of the game. And we're going to look at some basic combos because I think even with the core set, there's a good a good few fun things you can do with those cards. Um, we're also going to look at the three adventures that are included in the core set. And we're also going to look at some of the core set errata, which is really for me looking back because when I first opened that big box, um, a lot of the cards said different things than what they say now. And I think... This is a good one for veterans as well to go look back and go, oh, yeah, this card doesn't do this anymore. <laughs> and what I want to do each episode is look at the frequently asked questions which have been combined in the fact over the over the years and start at the beginning and work our way through them and just discuss them, see if they all make sense. Because it's easy to forget that for new players, a lot of these frequently asked questions haven't been asked nearly frequently enough. Um, and we're just going to start at number one and work our way through, and some of them will provide some discussion, and some of them will explain themselves. So the first uh, fact in the fact states this. This question. If players do not commit any characters to the quest, does the staging area still count its threat against them? And the simple answer is yes. But, I, I mean, when I read this, I thought, well, that's just obvious. But actually, I remember... When Emery, you sent me a picture, pleased as punch you were, of your first ever game, <laughs> saying I beat it really easily, and I had a look at your table there, and you had about sixteen locations just piled up in the staging area, and I said, well, how how could you possibly have uh, quested successfully with all these locations there? And, and you said to me, oh, I just didn't bother questing. 
Just pick them off. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a fundamental misunderstanding. And the other thing I had, I think, on that picture as well was a whole pile of resources um, because I was picking them up after every phase rather than every round. <laughs> <laughs> so I was completely, I was cheated in every way possible. Basically. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that appears I in think the that, fact. That, no, I think that was specific to like the real thickos like me. <laughs> Most people would get that pretty clearly. That won't be in the fact because I think that appears in the instructions. It's very clear in the rules. <laughs> um, I think what it was was because uh, I because we'd played it. I think we'd played it just once at, by that point, and I gave it a go, and sort of misremembering things and thinking, "Oh, I know this game. I won't bother, you know, really looking through the rules really carefully. Just dive into it. Got all excited, and I made all of those mistakes. <laughs> yeah, definitely worth being aware of. But this is one. This one about the uh, questing. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, that was uh, my, my my thought of, of it originally was. Well, I'm not going to try to quest this time, so therefore, you know, why should any, you know, I'm not, I'm not risking anything. I've decided not to risk it, <laughs> which is completely, you know, it's not your decision. The, the threat is there. Absolutely, <laughs> the <risk> is taken <laughs> for you, <laughs> which actually makes great sense. It does. It makes perfect sense. So the full answer to this fact is yes. The threat in the staging area still counts against the players who have a combined committed willpower of zero. <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> so you, you can die pretty quickly if you don't if you don't quit. But sometimes you get into a position where you just got to take that, take it on the chin. If you got a big fight about to happen, you got a few uh, threat in the bank, and you're in desperate, you know, dire straits. You got to do that sometimes. You were in dire straits. I was. Yeah, I've got <laughs> my life's taken taken a turn for the worst, John. <laughs> <laughs> they were great days. <laughs> um. No online resources in Ireland, is what I say. And um, there are many, many great Lord of the Rings living card game resources out there. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, there are other podcasts, there are blogs, there are Twitter feeds, there's probably Facebook. Is Facebook still a thing? I don't know. I think so. Is it? Okay. I don't know. And of course, I mean, we're here to share the love. So each week we're going to just highlight an online resource, which I think uh, should be on everyone's radar. And this week, I think this is the first place I think everyone should head. And that is ringsdb.com, I want to say. But I think if you just if you just Google <laughs> ringsdb, you'll find it. Um, it, is, it is a .com, yeah. It is .com. For those of you who don't know, RingsDB is the place you want to be for building your decks. I mean, perhaps with the core set, you can just do it um, with the cards in your hand on the table and just look at the pitches and look at the uh, stats and build a deck that way. And of course, that is definitely the best way to learn the cards and get involved with it. But as your collection grows, RingsDB is invaluable. It has all the cards there. You can create an account. You can mix and match your sets and you can basically build all your decks online and then easily construct them in, in real life. And uh, yeah, I use it every day. And by the way, I'm still doing it the old-fashioned way, so I still look through the cards to get kind of get the idea of my deck together, and then what I'll do is then store them on RingsDB. Because what you'll find is, as you, as you try a, a certain deck, it might be really, really good for, for one adventure, but it'll be terrible for another. But it might be good for another one in the future again. So 
it's a really good way of storing them. So having to write them all down manually is obviously a real, <laughs> that's a real pain. So it's a really fantastic resource for that. You know, you don't want to be writing down 50 cards worth or more or 51 cards as I like to do in in my case. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but we'll, we'll talk about that another time. Much to my dismay that you can't find one card to get rid of. It was a, it was a 51 carder. It was a 51 card. You couldn't, there was nothing to get rid of. <laughs> you, you know, I, I also get upset by odd numbers. So it, it's, uh, it's actually hurting me even having this conversation. So if, it, if you wrote Lord of Rings, it would have been two rings to rule them all. <laughs> it just wouldn't have been the same. <laughs> Thank God Tolkien did not have that affliction. <laughs> <laughs> it would also have ended with the two towers because two books, two towers, perfection. Yeah. But anyway, we digress. <laughs> uh, right. So, <laughs> so where did we go? Where were we? <laughs> so, we've travelled to some kind of location. But what was it? What bog was it? The foul... What, festering. <laughs> festering. festering. I think we've travelled to the festering bog at this point. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay we'll get through it. i know there's a treacherous fog i'm not <laughs> sure i'm not sure there's a festering bog <laughs> the black sheep of the treacherous fog's family imagine crossing a festering bog and being overcome by a treacherous fog <laughs> that's not <laughs> that's not good it's not good no one wants to be there no um Okay, well, I think we've reached a, a good point to sign off for this first episode. Um, all it leaves me to say is thank you for listening, if indeed you are. If you've stuck with us this far, then please come back. I promise there will be an episode two. Um, I can't promise it will be as focused as this one, because actually I'm surprised at how few tangents we had. That is unlike us. <laughs> I think we're just taking our first steps into the world of podcasting. <laughs> I think we'll start to get a more, yeah, what should we say, natural flow as time goes on, yeah. Okay, so on that note, I wish you well. As do I. <laughs> Can I say that? Can I just cut in? Too late I'm now. thankful too. <laughs> uh, and we'll, uh, we'll speak to you next time. Thanks for listening. Thank you.